I want to finish up our series we've been talking about over the past several weeks entitled Check Your Capacity. And we've been having some really healthy conversations as a church and really analyzing our capacity. If you've been around for quite some time, you might know that because we're online and we have unlimited seating, that our capacity grows very, very quickly. We reach people at a rapid rate, and we want to do our best to love and serve every single person because every person matters. We aren't just looking for other red numbers below our screen. We're looking to reach real people that have real struggles, and we want to be able to love them. And we've been talking about some behind-the-scenes statistics of how our church has been growing. And over the past year, our online community has grown by 1,000 people in one year. And we thank God for that. And at a surface level, we're like, wow, that's incredible. But I've also been sharing just six days of activity that in six days we had 32 people join the community, 30 people leave the community. And so when things like this are happening, as leaders, we need to take an honest look at our church and say, okay, what's happening? How can we diagnose the issue? We start taking a look at our systems. Is the problem our systems? Our systems can always get better. They can always improve. We can always grow. But we didn't think it was our systems. Is it our leaders? Is it our staff? Is it our pastors? Is it our volunteers? Are we not loving enough? Are we not sacrificing enough? And of course, our leaders and our staff and volunteers can always be better. We can always grow. We can always be more like Christ. But we didn't think it was our leaders we started really asking God, what is our problem? And we realized that our problem was mostly just capacity. If I were to take this measuring cup, and I want to take like the story we read, and this oil would represent God's blessing. All the people, opportunity that God has sent our way. If I were to pour this amount of blessing into this amount of capacity at a surface level, wow, it would be full, so impressive. Look how many people they're reaching but if I were to pour this whole thing in here, as you can imagine, not only some, but most of it would spill on over onto the floor. And when it's oil, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal, but when you realize the oil represents real-life people who really need care, who really need God's Word, begin to realize we've got a condition with our capacity. Begin to tell you that we have about 3,500 people in our community and four pastors. It's about 872 people per pastor. And when people are reaching out to get prayer, people are reaching out to actually be discipled, to be taught God's word, it's not that our pastors don't love people. It's not that Fred doesn't love people. It's that we need about 37 more Freds. It's not that our pastors don't love people. It's that our capacity has not reached the point to handle all the blessing that God wants to send our way. And if we don't address the capacity condition, every week we'll have 32 people in, 30 people out. Over the, past, over the next year, we'd have about 1,600 people join the community, which is incredible, but 1,500 of those would leave. And what's happening now is it's not 32 new people in, and then five minutes later they decide to leave. No, it's like 30 new people in, 30 people that have been around for a long time out. And as a church, we have to have healthy conversations about what can we do, because if we don't, people continue to suffer. If we're just about numbers, then no big deal. Our numbers are great. We've got lots of numbers. But if we're really focused on people, then as a church, we have to have a healthy conversation. And so we've been asking God, God, what can we do? And we've been breaking it down into two reasons as to why we think we're experiencing a condition with our capacity. And last week we talked about significance. That some people don't give of their time and volunteer. Some people don't give of their finances because they believe what they have is just so small that it's not worth giving anyway. Well, I don't have an immense amount of talent. I've just got a little a little insignificant gift that really wouldn't contribute much anyway. And it's so little that I might as well not even give it. What we talked about last week, that no matter what amount you have, that you are not insignificant, and when you take what you have and put it into Jesus' hands, he multiplies, he uses every single person. All of us are just ordinary people, but together, God is using us to do extraordinary things. Last week, in terms of capacity, we talked about significance, but today, I want to talk about sacrifice. Let's pray and we'll dive in. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much, God, that you're guiding us. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. 
And I pray today, Holy Spirit, that you'd open up our hearts, open up our ears and our minds to be encouraged by you, to be uplifted by you. But also, God, if we're truly followers of Jesus, we open up our hearts to be confronted by you, to be corrected by you, to be challenged by you, so that we together can learn to be like Jesus, so we can reach the world, so we can build your kingdom. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. This past Tuesday night, I had an interesting experience because I attended the game night that happens every Tuesday night in the Discord, 7 p.m., which if you don't show up, you should. And I got to play a game that some of you probably know, talked about it last week. It's called Among Us. Who here has played Among Us? I think most of us forever get to get you playing Among Us. Shannon, if you're daring, we'll get you playing too, okay? Let's play some Among Us. If you don't know Among Us, very, very simple concept. Up to 10 people go into a game, and eight of those people are part of the crew. And their objective during the game, there's a picture on the screen, is to fulfill tasks. Now they all walk through, you see them, they all look the same, but you see that one little kind of computer with a yellow outline? That is somebody's task. And when they walk up to the task, you'll see the next picture, that there's some kind of objective that they need to fulfill. So in this one, they've got to turn the knobs on the right at the right time for the yellow to go over and the blue and the neon blue, all the stuff. They all have different tasks. They're very simple. They take like five seconds. And you see at the top left, there's that green bar. Total tasks completed. And when that bar gets filled, the crew has won the game. Very, very simple concept. Keep doing all your tasks until the game is completed. But in order for the game to be won, everybody needs to contribute. And if some people aren't doing their tasks, the green bar never gets filled. Now, on the other end, at a simple glance, you wouldn't be able to tell, but I told you there's 10 people and only eight of them are part of the crew because the other two are imposters. The other two people are people that look exactly the same as everyone else. They talk exactly the same as everyone else. But their objective is not to contribute towards the goal. Their objective is to kill everybody off before they can finish the goal. And so I played this week, and I had the opportunity to become what I called the impastor. Okay? I was the imposter, and I started picking up with some tricks. And so I realized, just like that second, the first picture, when you want to do your tasks, the first one, you just walk up to it, and you just kind of stand there. Now, on your screen, that big picture shows up, but to everyone else that walks by, you just look like you're doing this. You're just standing up against a wall, doing nothing. But everyone knows if there's someone standing against a wall, oh, they're, they're doing a task. Great. They're contributing towards the goal. Thank you so much for your help. But if you're an imposter, I started learning the tips and tricks. That if you want to blend in and you want other people to think that you're part of the crew so they don't figure out it's you, that at times you just go and stand up against the wall. You just stand there and wait 10 seconds and pretend like you're doing tasks when the reality you actually know that you're not part of the crew, you're actually just an imposter. And I want to tell you today that Jesus has invited all of us to be a part of his crew. Jesus has invited every person, no matter who you are, what you've been through, to be part of his family through what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. And as followers of Jesus... Being a Christian is synonymous with the word sacrifice. It is synonymous with the word generous. Synonymous with the word sacrificial, generous, kind, compassionate, giver. All of those describe the life of someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus. And Jesus has not called us to live lives for ourselves, but to live our lives for others to build his kingdom, to make Jesus famous, not ourselves famous. And all of us have been given specific tasks from God to do. We've got different gifts, different talents, different amounts of finances, but all of us are called to do what's called imparting. Imparting is to take what you have and to give or share of what you've been entrusted with. But there are many of us in church today, in churches all over the world, that we look like everybody else. We're in the same space as everybody else. And if you hear us talk, we even talk the same. We even know what Hosanna means. I mean, we're really just fitting on in. We look just like everyone else. 
But if we'll be honest with ourselves, just because we're standing up against the wall doesn't mean we're actually contributing towards the goal. And for some of us, I wonder if we look the same, we talk the same, but in our hearts we know that we're not actually contributing. And what I've come to ask you today is to check your capacity for sacrifice. How much in your life, in terms of building the kingdom of God, are you sacrificing? Are you sacrificing a lot? Are you sacrificing a little? Are you contributing towards the kingdom of God? Are you imparting unto others what God has given to you? Might I ask it this way? Are you an imparter or are you an imposter? Are you someone that simply lives to consume or are you looking to contribute? And I want to read the same story to you that we read last week in the book of John. Last week we read it from the perspective of significance. Today I want to read it from the perspective of sacrifice. John 6, today we're going to start at verse 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, it'll be up on the screen. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already knew in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, he spoke up. He said, here's a boy with only five small barley loaves and two small fish. I mean, how far is that going to go among so many people? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And so they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. We told you last week that in those days, that when they were tallying up a group of people, you would only get counted in the score if you were a man above the age of 20 years old. So historians speculate that here, that on average, because by then people got married earlier, that every man would have also had a wife and one child. So really, 15,000 men was more like 15,000 people. Huge crowd of people. Verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, and he distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And he did the same with the fish. Now, we read this story last week, but I want to catch it from a different perspective. And speaking of perspective, I would encourage you when studying the Bible, especially the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you can do is you can read different parts of all four of them to get a different perspective of the same story. And what we're going to do now is I want to jump over to the book of Matthew, verses 14, 15 to 17. You just heard that story from John's perspective. Now we're going to hear it from Matthew's perspective. Same story, all equally true, just from a different point of view. Verse 15, as evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowd away so they can go to the village and they can go get themselves some food. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. In the story we see, there is a huge capacity issue. The Bible even said that there was plenty of grass for them to sit, but not enough people to serve. Capacity to seat, not enough capacity to serve. Plenty of capacity to fit, not enough capacity to feed. Sound familiar? And they had all this space and all these people, and they were all hungry, and a little boy with five loaves and two fish comes to them and says, this is what I have to offer. And Jesus does a miracle and multiplies it so that everybody has enough to eat. But here's first the response of the disciples in the book of Matthew. They're aware of an issue. They're aware of a need. And they're saying, well, we don't have enough, so let's just send them off and, and they can get what they need somewhere else. But look what Jesus says. I love it. Matthew 14, verse 16. Jesus replied, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. 
I wonder how many times we've gone to God in prayer. God, God, help this person. God, meet this need. God, do a miracle, all while simultaneously having the means to meet the need ourselves. I wonder how many times that if you could hear God in real time every single time, that when you're praying for God to meet a need, he would say, stop praying and go meet it. I wonder if Jesus would say to you, you give them something to eat. We're praying for God to help this person, for God to do that thing, for God to meet this need, all while having the resources, time, energy, and money that we could just meet it ourselves. I wonder if there are some things that you don't even need to pray about. You just got to do them. Well, should I help a person in need? Oh, God, I really, you know, I'm going to go on a time of fasting and prayer. Because, God, this person needs help. Should I help them? I have everything possible to be able to help them, but I just don't know if it's the right thing to do. I don't know if sometimes God like, what do you mean? You give them something to eat. I'll provide, I'll provide the supply if you'll provide the service. I'll give you what you need to meet the need, but now I need you to go meet it. I wonder how many of us have asked God to answer a prayer that instead of asking God, we could be the answer to the prayer. And we see that this story, it's miraculous. It's a supernatural work of God. Like literally, to put in layman's terms what happened here is there's 12 disciples, 15,000 people minimum, five loaves and two fish, and there's a basket full of the five pieces of bread and two fish. And but Peter, like he walks over to the basket and he's like, all right, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feed some people. Okay, well, let me grab a handful here. Okay, he's going to walk over. He's going to distribute it over here. Hey, Solux, here you go. Solbon Alchemist. All right, here's Blue Eyes family. Okay, they're big, so we don't have enough to feed them. All right, let me go back to the basket. And there's a line. In front of him is James, Andrew. There's multiple people. All right, so Peter's expecting, by the time I get back to the basket, mathematically, it should be empty. But he gets there, and it's full again. And Peter's like, but I, and then, what? Like, how is there still food in this basket? And it's a miraculous work of God. It's a miraculous work of God. Supernaturally, the supply never ends. It was unlimited until God knew the job was done. Something that we can't do. Something that only God can do. But have you ever noticed that God put a supernatural miracle in the hands of the disciples? And the first thing he wanted them to do with it was to give it away. I'm not giving you all this food so that you can keep it. I'm giving you all this food so you can give it to others. And I can imagine there's some level of sacrifice happening here. Because I really need you to pay attention to the details. There was plenty of space to fit 15,000 people. So this probably spanned over for like a mile. Huge sea of people. And then it said, Jesus said, disciples, have them all take a seat, and then you distribute to them. So this isn't a buffet line. This isn't like, all right, 15 people, 15,000 people going, I'm just going to, hey, here you go. Here you go. No, 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 no. He had to distribute to all 15,000 people. So like at first, I can imagine, man, praise God, look at this miracle, handful. Yo, my hands are so full. Hey, can you, can you grab a fish? Because like my hands are full. Grabbed it. Awesome. Okay, here we go. One for you. Awesome. Pray. Hey, it's good to see you in church today. Praise God. Thanks for coming today. All right, my hands are empty. Let me go back and get some more. Okay. And you can probably imagine that after doing this 14, 15, 16 times, man, I'm getting tired. Like, and then while I'm picking up all of God's blessing and distributing it, then all of a sudden these people are like, yo, can I get seconds? Because the scripture said they all ate as much as they wanted. Yo, can I, get, can I get a refill over here? Yo, can you wait a minute? And back again, another one. Back again, over the span of what I can imagine, it's probably like a mile, 15,000 people. This must have taken all day. And I want you to put yourself in their shoes. We talked about it a few months ago. We got two types of people. Okay, we got our grace people. The grace people are all nice and smiley. 
sometimes don't share all their emotions. So after a while of doing this, you can imagine the disciples, maybe you, you've done this 37 trips already, but you're a grace person. And in your mind, you're thinking some things, okay? All these people, because you've got to remember, only the 12 disciples did the distributing. So at first, you're like, what a miracle of God. Big smile on my face. But after a while, you're like, yo, is anybody going to offer to help? So many people sitting down and consuming. Nobody? Nobody's going to offer to help. But you're a grace person, so you're like, here you go. But you're thinking, I hate you. <laughs> you've got your food. What's up, Jimmy? It's been three years, 14 days since you've served last. Here you go. But then you got your truth people. And somebody asked for a remill. Yo, y'all going to have to wait a minute. Like nobody is going to offer to help. That's what's happening right now. All 15,000 of you are going to get fed by the 12 of us. Nobody's going to offer? Nobody. Okay. It's going to be like that. That's how it's going to be. Problem of capacity. And I wonder, maybe here at God Squad Church, where there's a small group of people serving such a multitude, if some of our volunteers are beginning to wonder, yo, is somebody going to help? Somebody going to offer to help us pass out all this food? Because I'm hungry too, you know. Because we got to eat too, you know. And I wonder if in this moment, frustration begins to build. Because I'll tell you, it's easy to consume of a miracle of God without having to contribute. It's easy. Man, I get to sit back. Yo, bring me a refill. Yo, I'll take some extra fish, light on the salt. Like, you just get to ask for whatever you want, but you don't have to contribute. I wonder how easy it must have been for all 15,000 of those people to just wait patiently while shouting down, yo, refill. I, Jesus said I could have as much as I wanted, so I'm going to need some more. I get my expectations are probably a little unrealistic, but I need you to meet my needs. I, I need you to help me out. I need you, I need you to come over here. And you know what must have been even more frustrating than the fact that nobody offered to help is verse 12. When they all had enough to eat, when they all had consumed all they wanted, like Jesus promised, then Jesus said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Like, you know what would have been great? If in this huge crowd, somebody stood up and was like, hey, guys, can we give it up for our volunteers and these 12 disciples? Like, they've done a fantastic job distributing 15,000 people worth of buffet-level food. And you know what, guys? But let's be sure, because they got to eat too. They've got needs too. They've taken the time to make sure that we're healthy. Hey, guys, let's make sure we leave plenty for them. Wouldn't that have been great? Wouldn't they have felt honored and appreciated? But no, it says that they just left some scraps over. All 12 of these people took all this time to feed and serve as much as I wanted. And now I've had my fill. I've been consumed. It's time for me to leave without even having to pay a check because it was free. And I'm going home. I'm going home. And the disciples, they just had some leftovers. Nobody bothered to ask, can I help? Nobody bothered to make sure that there was plenty left over. Now, if you know the story, God made sure there was plenty left over, but the people didn't. And they just had what was left over. And I think that this is sometimes what we do with God. We sacrifice to God whatever we have left over. Whatever amount of money I have left over, God can have. Whatever amount of time I have in my schedule, whatever's left over, God can have. But a follower of Jesus is not called to be a consumer, rather a contributor. And so I want to teach you a principle that I pray you'll take into your life. It's called first fruits. This principle is talked a lot about in the Old Testament. I want to read a few verses to you concerning first fruits. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10. 
honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Nehemiah 10.35. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Last one, Exodus 23.19. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. The principle of first fruits is the principle that God not only owns everything that I have, God owns my time, he gave me the gift of life, God owns not even my money, his money, and when I give of my time, and when I give of my money, he gets first dibs, first fruits. He doesn't get what's left over, he gets first dibs. To illustrate this, let's do a little budget together, okay? As a follower of Jesus, this is the principle of first fruits that I want to illustrate for us. But not everyone does that. So we're going to put a little budget on the screen. First picture. Okay, now all of a sudden, y'all are going to be triggered. These numbers are not my numbers. Some of you are like, I wish I made $4,000 a month. By the way, this is after taxes, because if you don't pay your taxes, you're going to do prison ministry from the inside, okay? <laughs> this is after taxes, all right? Pay your taxes, people. Just saying, there's my little commercial for the day, okay? Some of y'all are like, wow, I wish I had a household income of 4K. Some of us are like, wow, you only make 4K. These are imaginary numbers, and the budget is all imaginary, okay? Your formatting might be different. My wife does our formatting, and I actually do the every month, the paying. We have our different gifts. I'm not an Excel sheet kind of guy, but you might be, okay? Let's get that out of the way. But the first thing is, when people look at their budget, what's the first question they ask? Well, how much do I make? Because you got to know what you're working with. How much do I make? Wrong. How much has God entrusted into my care? How much has God entrusted into my care? So the first thing we do is we, we ask ourselves as if we're the owners and not the managers. Well, how much do I make with my gifts that God gave me, with my arms and legs that God gave me? How much capacity do I have to work with? The first thing I would challenge you to do in your vocabulary is not ask how much do I make, how much has God entrusted into my care? And then we look at the second picture, where we got our hypothetical budget. We've got lots of things. We've got mortgage and rent and things like groceries, and so this is what we do. We start going down the line. Okay, well, this is my capacity. This is how much I make. So I got, I got a lot for mortgage and rent, normally most people's highest expense. Then I've got other things like car payments. I've got other things like entertainment, other things like health insurance, and Quickly, if you know, your budget starts going away real quick. It's emptying, your money's going, it's going out faster than it comes in. We've got entertainment, our Twitch subs, Netflix, date nights, all that stuff. And then at the end of the month, you've only got a little bit left over. If you've got a little bit left over, and then here's what we do with that. We say in the next picture, okay, well, I've got $10 left. I guess I'm just going to give it to God. I took care of all of my needs with my money, and my time, and my desires, and my hopes. And God just is going to get the leftovers. But what if as actual followers of Jesus, we understood it's not the money that I make. It's the money that God has entrusted into my care. So here is my capacity. Same numbers, $4,000 a month. But as a follower of Jesus, our budget should not have God at the bottom where the leftovers are. When deciding your lifestyle, we should have God at the top. Now, the dollar amount is not what I want you to focus on here. It's the priority list. It's not that I get to live on whatever I want, and then God gets what's left over. It's that me, if I'm single, or me and my wife, we get on our knees before our master... And we ask God, how much do you want me to sacrifice? With your money that you've entrusted to my care, how much should I sacrifice? Ooh, really? That's going to hurt. I'm pretty sure the cross did too. Okay, God, 
You want me to sacrifice that much? Okay. I don't spend what I want, and then you get the leftovers. I sacrifice what my master has called me to sacrifice, and then I get to live on what's left over. I get to buy the kind of house on what's left over. I get to drive the kind of car on what's left over. My wife and I had the privilege of buying our first house last year, and my wife and I, we always give. We've just decided giving and Christianity are synonymous. I cannot be a Christian and not be generous, but I'm not just a little generous. I'm, I try to be Jesus generous, sacrificial. Ooh, that hurts. I could have done this or that, or I could have done this. And if my wife and I didn't give, I could have bought a bigger house. You could drive a nicer car. But if your budget doesn't have room for God, I wonder if our priorities are out of order. My wife and I, we said, how much house can we afford? The kind of house that I can afford depends on the kind of sacrifice that I give. I don't give last, I give first, and then I get to live on whatever's left over. I wonder if you and I, who probably have most of our money in a bank account, that we've entrusted to somebody's care. I wonder how frustrated you might be if you went to the bank where you store your money and trusted into their care and said, hey, I want to make a withdrawal because I really want to do this thing. So I know I've got 500 in the bank. I'd like to take out 200. And they said, well, it's going to be a problem because there's only 100 left. What do you mean there's only 100 left? Well, we spent it. It wasn't yours to spend? What do you mean you spent my money? And I wonder if in the same way, God comes to us in our hearts and says, hey, I want you to give this much of your time or your money to whatever it might be. And you say, well, God, that's going to be a problem. You see, because I spent it. I wonder if God would say to us, you spent my money without my permission. You didn't get on your knees and ask me first what I wanted you to sacrifice. And I'm not even going to ask you to give it all, but I'm going to ask you to give some. So I had $500 in the bank and you spent $400 without asking me. And now I can't do the thing that I want to do through you because you spent my money on things I never gave you permission to do. That's where we are. Because many of us as Christians, we would say, Jesus Christ is my Lord. But really, he's our get out of hell free card. Because if you want to know who your Lord is, ask yourself, who does my budget? Because whoever does your budget is your Lord. Whoever gets my calendar is my Lord. It's not God, I don't have enough time or enough money to do what you're calling me to do. It's God, first, what do you want me to do? And then I get to live on the leftovers. Now, God's not asking you to give away half of your income. But he's asking you to sacrifice in a way that you're going to feel it. You're going to feel it coming out. God's going to give some of you a number, whether it's with your time or with your finances, where you're going to go, but that means I have to stop, fill in the blank. Well, that means I'm not going to be able to fill in the blank. And you're going to have to make some decisions. Radical Christianity means that when you learn this principle, you sit down with your wife and say, we're going to have to sell our house and buy a smaller one because there's no room for God in my budget. I really like my car, but I don't need to drive a Mercedes. I can drive a Mercedes if either I get to also sacrifice or I get to drive a Mercedes if I'm the Lord. But if he's the Lord, I might have to drive a Toyota and give the difference. I don't know what it'll be for you. But if it doesn't hurt, you're probably not doing it right. Because I want you to really understand this principle. If when it comes to sacrificing, if you're not hurting, the church probably is. If you're not feeling it, you're like, oh man, I'm going to have to stop blank. 
Man, I, I, you know, I used, to, I used to put my kids in basketball and soccer and tennis, and I want my kids to have opportunities. So you're going to have to pick just one of them because we got to start volunteering in church, and we don't have time in the schedule for God. We don't have money in the budget for God. So I'm going to have to say no to some things because he's my Lord. He's not at the bottom getting my leftovers. He's at the top getting my first fruits. And then I get to live on what's left over. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if I were to tell you it's easy, I'd be a liar. But I can tell you, it will never be easy, but it will always be worth it. It will always be worth it. This story started with a sacrifice from a little boy who said, Jesus, I've got five loaves and two fish. Let me tell you what the boy didn't say. He didn't say, well, I've got five loaves and two fish, and you know, I think I'm going to I haven't eaten yet, so I think I'm going to eat like three, maybe like a fish and a half, and then, Jesus, you you can take the rest. He said, Jesus, here's all that I have. Here's my entire kid's meal. Here's everything that I have, and take it. And he didn't even know if he'd get it back. He's looking at the math. Five loaves, two fish, 15,000 people. I might not eat today. I, I might not, maybe I'll get a bite, but I, I don't know what I'm going to get back. Sacrifice. Man, I was really looking forward to this lunch, man. I'm getting hangry already, but I see there's a need, so I'm going to fill it. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And the little boy understood it, but sometimes we don't. He said, Jesus, here's all that I have, and you can take it. Sacrificial giving, not leftover giving, sacrificial giving. I feel it. It hurts, and I'm not even concerned with what I'm going to get back. Because the Bible teaches it's better to give than it is to receive. So Jesus, here's all I have. He didn't know that Jesus was going to make a buffet out of it, where he'd get to eat even more than his five fish, five loaves and two fish. He didn't know that. But because he honored God, God blessed him in return. This is sacrificial living, sacrificial giving. I'm going to read to you Acts 2, 42 to 47. This is really where the church was founded. This is where we see like the first gathering of people to form the church. And this is what they were like. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, which means they ate, could even mean they did communion. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's go back to verse 45. You want to talk about sacrificial giving? They sold their own property and their own possessions to give to anyone who had need. These weren't rich people who had tons of leftovers. These were people taking the flat screens off their wall and selling them to help people in need. These were gamers that saved up all year long and managed to sneak in a pre-order on the RTX 3090. And on the day when they finally get it, they plug it in. I mean, their frames are so fast, they're basically playing from the future. Like, these are people that are like, I can't believe I finally got this. And then I hear about a need. And I get on my knees take out my tools, and I unscrew my computer. And I take out my card, and I say, you know, I could sell this and buy a 1050. I could still play. It's not going to be as good, but it'll work. Because my life's 
It's not about me. It's not about me. It's about others. And I wonder today, what is your capacity for sacrifice? Do you give to God everything that you have and allow him to ask for your leftovers? Or does God get first dibs, first fruits, and you get to live on what's left? The only time that I should say I don't have enough time left is because first God has taken some of my time from me. It's not that I don't have enough time to serve because I run my life. It's that I might not have enough time to do something that I really want to do because I'm busy sacrificing. I'm busy serving God, building his kingdom. And the disciples were sacrificing all day and all night because of the capacity condition. But I wonder how much faster and how much more effective they could have been at accomplishing their task if some people had just said, hey, I'll help. You know what? You're feeding 15,000 of us. I see there's only 12 of you. I'm not really great at math, but I can tell here there's a problem, and I can help. I, I can serve, and I, I can give. But sacrificial giving looks like I'm willing to have less so that others can have more. It's not about leftovers. It's about first fruits. And I want you to know, that here at God Squad Church, we believe in sacrificial living. That sometimes it hurts so bad you feel like you're bleeding. But it is a privilege to bleed for the one who first bled for me. It is an honor to give of my time, my schedule, and to miss out on opportunities that I could have had. And to be able to buy things that I would really want so that I can give to his kingdom and see not temporary checklists be checked off, but see eternal lives being saved. And I'm so inspired by our leaders because they, they live this way. See, today, especially if you're just joining us for the first time, you might see all that God's built and our purple checkmark partnership on my channel and the amount of follows and views that we have and our discord of 3,500 people. And it might look very, very impressive but it was built on, one, the power of Jesus, the truth of his word, but it was also built on sacrifice. You might look at some of our staff today and think, wow, look at all they're doing. Look at all that they have. They've been in the Washington Post and Kotaku and talked about all over the world and da-da-da-da-da-da. Man, they must be doing so well when in reality, all of us are sacrificing. You might look at Pastor Boss today who lives in Virginia and gets to work for the church full-time, loving and serving our people, but you might not know that just a little over a year ago that he was home working 50 hours a week at a job that he hated, getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning so that he could pay his bills and would come home from work exhausted and get online and pray with people and talk with people and serve people because in his life, God gets the first fruits not his leftovers. God owns all that he has. And you don't get to see the sacrifices that he made where he served this church since before day one it started four and a half years ago for free. Hours and hours and hours and hours and hours a week serving people while he's exhausted. You don't remember that on Saturday nights at 7.30 before we had a daytime service, where he was exhausted from a long week, sometimes working overtime to pay the bills, working on a Saturday, would get out of work and drive to my house just to run the computer, and then the moment it was over, go home because they needed to get to sleep to wake up at four o'clock in the morning. You, you, you didn't get to see the sacrifice. You, you never got to see the sacrifices that unworthy seraph that he came to us over three years ago was a very responsible young man and said, you know what, I've worked and I've put a lot of money in my savings and this specific example is not for everyone, but it was for him. And I feel that God wants me to quit my job. 
I've got enough money in my savings account that I can work for the church full-time for free, live on my savings in hopes, which I think was a reasonable request, that in that three years we can build the church large enough that hopefully I could receive an income. I think most of you would say, sounds reasonable. And after almost three years, praise God, we finally got him to the point where we could pay him $200 a month. And he kept on doing it. Kept on doing it. Serving, loving our people, until after last Waymaker Week, we were able to get him to a place where we could pay him half of what he's worth. Till this day. He could go work in a secular business and make twice as much money. But he hasn't. Because he loves this church. But as a leader, in order to protect the integrity of our church, I've got to be forward thinking and realize that Seraph's not getting any younger. And one of these days, he's going to want to get married and will not be able to raise a family on what our capacity allows him to receive. And it will only be a matter of time before Seraph says to me, he's never said this, Pastor Susie, I love this church so much. And you know the things that I've sacrificed for it. But I just need to do what's best for my family. And I just, I've got to go. Maybe some of you have made that same decision. Love your job. Nothing against it. But you just need a certain amount of money to raise a family. Maybe you don't know about Pastor Tammy, who for years before ever had the title of pastor, served in the discord till too many late hours of the night that we needed to say, you need to go to bed at a reasonable time. Okay? You can answer the message in the morning. They're going to be all right. They're going to be all right. Serving, 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 loving, loving, loving. And even to this day, now she's on staff as a pastor. People say, well, pastors must, must make great money. But you don't know that she works for free. That she sacrifices. You might not know that she's having her first child get married tomorrow and weddings aren't free. And putting your six children in school and in college, it's not free. Now they're blessed to have a husband who can work and provide for their family. But they're not rich. Just like the rest of us, they manage with what God has entrusted to them. But as a leader, I need to be forward thinking if we're going to protect the capacity of our church and realize it's only a matter of time before Pastor Tammy says, I love this church and you know what I've given. But me and my husband and I, we've been talking and putting six kids in college and paying for six weddings. It's a lot. And I'm going to need to work a job that actually pays. I don't think it's an unreasonable request. She's never said it. But if you understand, it's only a matter of time. And if we don't address our capacity, we're a few very realistic scenarios happening from a lot of things going wrong. You don't know about Amanda, who, when we lived in Connecticut, had a job that she loved, and she loves her job now, but had a job where she received a generous income and she got to do things that she really loved. And in Connecticut, even at the young age of, I think, 23 or 24, she had been appointed as the worship leader, Southwestern Connecticut sectional representative to represent a lot of churches and resource them and help them because of her long resume in music and worship. You might not get to see that she left all of that behind to come with us to Virginia to serve as executive pastor that you don't get to see that she had done that for years and the first time she ever received a paycheck was in December. And that till today, she still serves at half salary. Till today. You also don't know that when me and the board who approve the financial budgets, I don't just get to do whatever I want with church's money. I have five people that I have to answer to and sometimes they say no to me. And that's just the way it is. That when I had presented financial goals for the church so we could take care of our staff and make sure that people are healthy, that I had put my wife on that list. You don't know that she came to me and said, no, 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 we have to make sure that everybody else is taken care of first. We, we have to, I, I fought her. I was like, girl, that money goes in my bank account too. 
We have to take care of everybody else first. Then when the rest of the staff is okay, then we can talk about us too. You don't know the things the staff has done to sacrifice for this church, the hours that our volunteers have sacrificed. I have people come to me all the time. Well, Pastor Susie, partner on Twitch, gets all these cool opportunities. Pastor Susie must be rich because he's the lead pastor. But you don't know that up to date 2020, that my salary has been $12,940.53. Full time. Sometimes overtime. And I don't share these numbers with you because I'm trying to boast. I think most of us would agree it's not really worth bragging about. But I share them with you because I want you to know we would never do, we would never ask you to do anything that we weren't willing to do ourselves. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Giving. If I didn't pastor this church, my stream would probably be huge. But I want to serve God, not myself. The amount of streams that I cancel, skip, I get messages from people saying, Susie, you're, man, you're so inconsistent. I'm unsubscribing. I'm leaving. Like, hey, if I was giving you five bucks a month, I'd probably leave too. Always late, skipping things. Oh, you had another meeting. Sacrifice. Giving up things that you either already have or giving up things that you could have. It hurts. Opportunities that you might have to miss out on. Things that you have that you might have to give up. And I'm not asking you for your leftovers. I'm asking you for a sacrifice. Every single one of us needs to sacrifice to build the kingdom of God. And our staff, we have bled for this church and we'll continue to do it. And I'm not, I don't want you to feel bad for us. I am bleeding more than I've ever bled, but I am more fulfilled than I've ever been. My heart is full because I get to sacrifice. I'll tell you, there's a supernatural thing that happens in your heart when you sacrifice. When I talked to the board about the financial state of the church, the first idea that I, was present, that I presented was that I'd take a 25% pay cut and that I would increase my giving, and it hurt. But at the same time, I had so much joy. And you can imagine they didn't fight me on that decision. They said, sure, we'll do that. And it hurt, but I was so fulfilled. The church is not built on people who give leftovers. The church is built on people who sacrifice. This is how we cure the condition of our capacity. Because if we don't, people will just keep on spilling over. They'll just keep on spilling over. And I want to encourage you today with two last things as we close. Why, why do we give? Why do we sacrifice? I want to share with you the end of that passage. We read it. John, verse 12. When they had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. But look at this. Verse 13. So they gathered them 12, filled 12 baskets with pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. Even though the people only left scraps for the disciples. Jesus made sure that there were 12 full baskets for the disciples to be able to eat too. I want you to hear today that if you'll take care of God's business, he'll take care of yours. If you will sacrifice to build the kingdom of God, God will provide the supply that you need. You can't outgive God. You, you can't do it. You can't outgive God. He will just like he multiplied the fish and the loaves. If you're sacrificing, he'll sacrifice. He will multiply your time, multiply your finances. I'm not saying you're going to be rich, but I'm saying there'll be a basket with plenty of food for you to eat too. If 
you'll sacrifice. Second thing, we read it. I want to read both verses. Acts 2, the last one, 47. Because the people actually lived like the church and they gave sacrificially. Remember, sold their TVs off their wall. Look what 47 says. Because they lived that way, the Lord added to their number daily who were being saved. End of John chapter 6, verse 14. Because the disciples were willing to sacrifice, after the people saw the sign that Jesus has performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus provided a miracle, but the people never would have seen it if the disciples didn't sacrifice. Why do we sacrifice? So that people can see Jesus. So that people can know who Jesus is. So they can know that Jesus Christ spread his arms wide on a cross and gave his life to forgive us of our sins. And three days later, he rose again and he sacrificed his life so you and I, could have eternity in heaven so that all who would believe in their heart confess with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, they will be saved. But we have been saved through sacrifice. God is a God who gives. Last verse, then we're done. John 3, 16. Maybe you've heard it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God didn't have 17 sons and said, well, I mean, if I lose one, I've got 16 left. No, no, no. He gave his only son. The boy gave his only meal. And I wonder, are you willing to sacrifice what you have to build the kingdom of God so that people can see Jesus and he will take care of you. So I'm challenging you not to do something that we're not, to live the life that we live so together we can build the kingdom of God. But it's going to take sacrifice. It's going to take some of us looking at our calendar and saying, you know what? I've got to make some room for God. And I'm going to volunteer on some of the teams like I talked about last week. It's going to take some of us to say, you know what? I've got to look at my budget. And I'm not giving God my leftovers. I'm giving God my first fruits. And I want you to go home and I want you to pray. Well, you're probably already home because we're online. I want you to pray and I want you to ask God, God, how much of your money should I give back to you? How much of your time should I give back to you? And I want you to pray until he gives a number that probably scares you a little bit. Because if you don't have to think about it, it's probably just your leftovers. If I don't have to move some stuff around, it's probably just my leftovers. And I want you to pray and think about serving. But I want you to pray and think about giving. And in a few weeks, we're going to do another Waymaker Week. Where for five days, 12 hours a day, we're going to be raising monthly funds for the church. And if I'll be honest... In order to get to our church's capacity to a healthy place, we need to raise about an additional eight to $10,000 a month in order to not only take care of what we have now, but to bring on even more pastors so we can actually love and serve our people so they're not just spilling on over and feeling insignificant and getting left behind. And I want to challenge you to serve. I want to challenge you to give. But I want to challenge you to do something God's been putting on my heart. Some of you are in a position where you can sacrifice big with your time. Some of you might have experience being trained in ministry, or maybe you don't have any experience. But some of you, even as we're talking now, you're feeling an immense calling of God to serve your church, to sacrifice. And for some of you, we need, so many, we need so much help that for some of you, I want to put you as a volunteer staff member of our church. Because if we don't make some serious changes, our capacity condition is not going to change. We have four pastors. Even if we took on two more, 
It's still, someone do the math, still like 650 people per pastor. Like, we're not even, like, we're not even close to where we need to be. And for some of you, you might need to do what Pastor Boz did. You might need to do what I did. Full-time streaming, 40-plus hours a week. And then on top of that, 20-plus hours a week serving God's kingdom as a sacrifice. And we will train you, we will equip you, we will love you, and we will bleed alongside you like unworthy seraph until the church can be at a place where it could take care of you too. But we're not going to get there unless we all sacrifice. And some of you are hearing me right now. You want me to what? Man, this Susie guy is crazy. But you won't be able to sleep at night. Because God's going to keep you up at night saying, yes, he is crazy, and you're going to help him. Because God's calling some of you to sacrifice in the ways that you can. And we will equip you. We will train you. We will work alongside you. I want you to send me an email. Pastor Susie at GodSquadChurch.com telling me that you, Pastor Susie, man, I want to work alongside you guys. I want to reach people. I want to minister to people. We will train you. We will equip you. We'll go through a process to make sure that it's a good fit. But I want some of you to sacrifice big the way that we have to build what we've got. But if we're going to move forward, there's going to need more of us. We're going to need giving. We're going to need some volunteers. But we're going to need some more pastor bosses. We're going to need some more unworthy seraph, sacrificial type people. We're going to need some more pastor Tammies who say, my life is not about me. And I want some of you to pray. I want some of you to ask God, first, how much do I sacrifice? And then I'll get to live on what's left over. And for some of you, the first step actually isn't giving. It's receiving. I would never expect you to live this level of sacrifice if you didn't know that someone else first sacrificed for you. And some of you are here and you've never made a decision to say yes to Jesus. And I want to pray a prayer with you. I'm getting the chat in my hands. I want to pray a prayer with you as you make a decision today to say yes to follow Christ, to give your life to him, but not as your get out of hell free card as your master, as your God, as your Lord. And it might cause you to give up some stuff. If your life looks the same after following Jesus as it did before, you're probably not doing it right. You might have to give some stuff up. You might have to sacrifice. But today, the Lord is calling you to say yes to him. And if that's you, I want to pray a prayer with you as you make a decision to say yes to follow Jesus. Would you pray this with me? God, I thank you that you sent Jesus to die on the cross for me. And I ask you today, God, to forgive me of my sins, to be my Lord and my Savior, and help me to follow you, to love you, and to sacrifice for you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Friends, if that's you, we want to encourage you to continue here with our service. We want to give you some resources. You can type exclamation point next level in the chat. And if that's you, if you could do us a favor, let us know that you prayed that prayer. But we're not done just yet. I want to encourage you right now to get involved with what we're doing. And in just a moment, you're going to see a video on how you can give, how you can begin your process of sacrifice. And so I want to pray for all of us as we literally take time to pray and ask God, what does sacrifice look like for me? It's different for everybody. I showed a theoretical budget. That might not be yours. But what is God saying to you about what you should do to be a cure to the condition of our capacity? And then the video is going to play. It's going to show you how we can give. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today acknowledging and admitting that, Lord, you are our master. You are our God. 
Our lives are not our own. They belong to you. God, forgive us in the moments where we've treated you like you just get our leftovers rather than our first fruits. And so, Holy Spirit, speak to us today. What does sacrifice look like for me? How much time do I spend? How much money do I give? And for everyone, God, you're going to call us to sacrifice something different. Some of us can sacrifice more than others. Some of us have more time than others. God, what does it look like for us, for me as an individual? Challenge us. God, for some people right now, they're hearing this. And God, you want to put them as a volunteer on our staff. And we'll train and equip them. And to some people, that might sound bizarre, and maybe it's not for them. But for some, for a few, it will be. And I ask you today in Jesus' name, help us to be people who sacrifice and who give so the kingdom of God can be advanced so that people can see Jesus and him resurrected. You are alive today. But I pray that through our life of sacrifice, people would see Jesus. So God, bless those who are apart today. Put in our hearts to give. Maybe even some will give now, and maybe some will join us at Waymaker Week starting in a few weeks. Regardless, God, help us to love you, to serve you, and to follow you, not just with a little bit of what we have, but all that we have, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Bless you. That you can give at God Squad Church. You can find links in the chat or below the stream at our Give panel, where you can donate via PayPal or on our website. Our website giving allows you to easily customize your donations to fit what works for you. Lastly, you can text any amount to the number 84321 to use our easy and convenient text to give. However you're giving, remember that every penny counts. And thank you so much for supporting our vision of helping gamers win together.